world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And these are Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. done it brooke 10 episodes yes 10 the perfect number 10 thank you all so much for tuning back in and let's get right into it we have been going through the different magic systems that exist in the cosmere we did rashar we did skadriel and we are rounding out our kind of first 10 episodes with magic on cell and nalthus Combining the two, hoping to keep it short because these magic yeah. systems are less developed than those other ones. Yeah, primarily we only have standalone books uh, on both of these worlds rather than full series like we do on Skadriel and Rashar. So these are going to be together. And then after this, I think we're going right into Oathbringer, yeah? That is exactly Oath, what we're going to do Which next. is really what we want to be doing. We're just like trying to hold off so let everyone finish the book. <laughs> And maybe get so like, here we more are in the meantime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're on Cell and Nalthus today, looking at the magic systems. Let's begin with the planet of Cell. Yeah, what, let's dive right in. What book takes place on the planet of Cell? Cell, we primarily have Elantris is the big one, and then we have a couple of novellas or short stories also on Cell, which would be. I think it's called The Hope of Elantris. Yes. A little sort of sequely, prequely thing. Yes. Uh, and um, The Emperor Soul, which is a short story. Uh, one of the first things that I read by Brandon Sanderson. I think the first thing you read. Yes. And as I have been reading my way through these books, I think uh, that little short story has become more and more... Uh, significant, and I've come to realize that that little short story is packed full of quite a lot of important information, so I'm excited to go into some of that today. Absolutely, and I think that Elantris was the first book that Brandon published. That is Mm. his, well, he might have done something, short stories, uh, but in, in the Cosmere universe, Elantris is the first book that was written, not necessarily the first book that I would suggest starting with, but it is absolutely an interesting magic system to look at. Yeah, the magic system on Cell is highly focused on form and the idea of uh, specific shapes tying in with language as well, which as a language nerd, I find this idea or this system super interesting. Um, So let's just kind of start with the shards on the planet. They, there were two shards on cell. They are currently both shattered. um, And those are dominion and devotion which were held by the vessels Aeona and Sky. Now, we know that the shattering of both Dominion and Devotion happened before 
the events in the book of Lantris. Yeah, I think there it's quite far back in the prehistory. Um, I believe there were humans, but it's like in the Dark Ages. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is also directly tied into Odium specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. This 100%. Is, yeah, this is like the first victory of Odium. There may have been some other stuff, but certainly his first like major shattering of shards was on the planet Cell before he went to the Risharian system. Yes, correct. Yeah, this was before he shattered Honor. Okay, so now that we've kind of set the stage... We have the shattering of these two shards. And and something interesting happened when those shards shattered. Typically, most of a shard's power is housed in the spiritual realm. For some reason, when the shattering happened of dominion and devotion, that power coalesced in the cognitive realm, which is very idiosyncratic, creates some incredibly specific and... Um, individual circumstances on cell. Yeah, magic there acts differently, obviously still connected through the three realms, but it's going to act and behave differently than we see on other planets throughout the Cosmere because of the events of the Shattering. And we don't know mm-hmm. really anything about the events of the Shattering. It's not like... Uh, either honor on Rashar or even the events of preservation right, and ruin. We really know nothing. Yeah. So the only kind of uh, theory that I want to toss out there in regards to the shattering before we just talk about the magic system specifically is that I have a theory that the coalescing in the cognitive realm as you called it was a protective measure mm. that dominion and devotion almost like a a loophole that preservation tries to use against ruin as well mm. i give up some of my power and become weaker in the long term against ruin but i might accomplish creating humanity which yeah. like benefits me in the long term as well right. i think the shards might have been attacked by odium and in that process said hey he's gonna beat us if we just stay as normal, but if we give up maybe our access to the spiritual realm and shift all of our power mm-hmm. into the cognitive realm, it might be a way to stay intact and survive this attack of Odium. That's just my yeah, theory right totally now. totally possible. If they were able to somehow stay more powerful by sort of keeping all of their power concentrated together in one realm or something like that. Because, Brooke, can you give us some of the quotes that we pull from Chris in Arcanum Unbounded? When she's talking about the Selish system, she is going to really point out how this cognitive realm interacts. Yeah, Yeah. and what it creates. Yeah, that little part has some gold. Let's dive right in here. Quote, because the cognitive realm has distinct locations, unlike the spiritual realm, where most forms of investiture reside, magic on cell is very dependent upon physical position. In addition, the rules of perception and intent are greatly magnified on cell, to the point that language or similar functions directly shapes the magic as it is pulled from the cognitive realm and put to use. End quote. Right there, we have things going on that we have never really talked about or seen before. Mm -hmm. 
So language or similar functions. Now, what is the, we're going to talk about this in more detail, but what's the language that they're talking about here? Well, it depends on where you are on self because it's dependent upon what language you speak. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm and sorry. And I think the what, what it's sort of saying as similar functions is uh, speaking to written language, mm -hmm. uh, not just spoken language. Sorry. So, for example, in Erlon, you have, uh, they write with the aeons, which are sort of uh, like Asian type characters that they use to write with, as opposed to a letter like we would use in a Roman alphabet. Yeah. Uh, which they use to create magic. And that system of the the aeons, or the aeon door, as it's called, the, that full magic system, mm -hmm. is going to be pulling from the cognitive realm through the shape, this symbol. Yeah, so I think that goes back to the whole basis of magic on cell and that idea of being focused on form. The shapes that we'll see as we go through all of these different magic systems are what enables almost like a whole to be made in between the physical realm and the cognitive realm that allows that power to escape. And something else that Chris says in her little essay at the beginning of that part of Arcanum Unbounded uh, speaks to the pressure that's sort of felt in the cognitive realm because those two shards' power are trapped there, that it creates um, a pressure scenario where, like, and they, on, on, well, in Erlon, anyway, they call it the door, that power base, that well of power, they call it the door, and they say that they can even feel like it's trying to get out. Yeah, it's chaotic and dangerous. It is yeah. described as a risky cognitive realm, as we've talked about before, uh, through Shadesmar or through the kind of mist cognitive realm mm -hmm. of Scandrill, it's possible to travel, and many characters uh, can do it relatively unscathed, but on Cell, because you have the full power of the shards trapped in the cognitive realm, it's violent, almost. Yeah, it, Chris it, has said that it's very difficult and dangerous and, like, inadvisable. Yeah, and so, like... Where on Rashar, we kind of see Shadesmar as this uh, ocean made out of beads. I almost kind of imagine the cognitive realm on Cell as being like an ocean in a storm or a hurricane. Because yeah. uh, the, in, in Rashar, it's always described as just like an infinitely flat plane, but it's just made up of these beads that you can kind of like sink into that represent physical objects. And on Cell, I just kind of imagine it like chaos and just everything is kind of smashing around. One of the things that this leads to and that Chris remarks on in Arcanum Unbounded, she says, quote, Indeed, I believe that the very landscape itself has become invested to the point that it is, it has a growing self-awareness in a way unseen on other planets in the Cosmere. That is, like, the most fascinating sentence, I think. We have a planet on Cell that is becoming self-aware. Well, Cell, no, Cell is the planet. 
She's saying like oh, excuse the, me. Oh, that's what I meant. I mean, the planet oh, of right, self right, right. is you. becoming self-aware. Yeah. Oh my! Like literally, the Earth, the planet that you live on, is animating. What? Oh my gosh. I mean, the idea in human mythology of like Mother Earth, Gaia, and kind mm. of giving a personification to right. Earth itself is always kind of seen in our mythologies. Here on Cell, it's a key aspect of this investiture and this, this process uh, of what happened with the shattering, mm-hmm. where... What I think happened is that the spiritual realm was attacked. Dominion and devotion, in my opinion, somehow escaped yet trapped themselves Mm -hmm. in the cognitive realm. And because the cognitive realm is closer to the physical realm, that power started to connect to the physical realm more than it is on other planets. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think also because, like Chris says, the cognitive realm actually has physical places. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you think about it like us here in America, we have a specific way that we think about our country. That's going to affect how America would appear in the cognitive realm. So you have that happening on cell with different people in their different countries, right? Thinking about their own country. And that is sort of infusing that power into the very place that they are living. And for the story of Elantris, it takes place in the country or the kingdom of Aralon, Mm -hmm. right? And the country of Aralon and the people of Aralon use a writing system called the Aeon. Yeah, we're going to see all across Cell, we did say language, but then also the uh, place and the shape of the place that you live becomes very important to your magic system. So you have the Aeonic peoples, who are the people from Aralon, you know, just in their day-to-day life, they're using the Aeons. And they come to find out in the story of Elantris that those aeons, when used in a specific way by specific people, can allow them to access the door, which they call Aeon Door. Yes. So door equals magic. Door is investiture Mm -hmm. uh, specifically connected to the people of Aralon and their writing system. Yeah, not all the people of Aralon. No, exa- sorry, sorry. <laughs> not all the people of Aralon, but like... But you must be Aeonic to use it. And this is kind of wildly different than our other Cosmere planets that we have seen. And we've only seen a single book, the first book that Brandon had published in the Cosmere. So... As we start to explore these things, I want to kind of lead with the fact that there's going to be more in the series that we'll just call Elantris right now. Sure. And we'll discover more. But I also want to hedge and just kind of warn people that things that you may have read in Elantris 10 years ago. Oh, I see might 
be slightly different today because there was a little mm-hmm. bit of um, correction yeah, I that think Brandon did. Just a couple years ago, he released a new version of Landris because, uh, it, as you said, it was one of the first books he put out, and there ended up actually being a couple of uh, sort of technical errors in the magic system and mm-hmm. how it does relate to the landscape, and he realized that the way that he had drawn the map of Aralon didn't actually match up with how he was drawing the Aeons. And it so, has to because it has to, uh, yeah, exactly. because of the way the magic system works. So I just remember I read Elantris pretty early on. I think I went uh, the Emperor's Soul and then Elantris, and it, it was uh, confusing, especially without this kind of additional information. Um, I think that the book itself is not the strongest in the Cosmere. I think anybody kind of looking at things objectively would agree. But I think that the way the magic system works is really important and is becoming more important as the story gets more developed. It's just that at the time, Brandon didn't quite have the full picture, didn't nail the execution. I don't know. I mean, I really feel... I do think at the moment it feels weaker but i think that as we keep going through the cosmere we're gonna notice that we actually have a lot of really valuable information in elantris and the related books it it plants a lot of seeds i think like that's one of the first places we see a shard pool especially a very like well-defined shard pool Um, And then let's go ahead and just get into the magic system so we can make some more parallels. So with Aeon Door, as we mentioned, the not everyone is able to access it. Um, And the people who are are described as being taken by the Shaud. I guess I'm going to pronounce it that way. The Shaod. The Shaod is how I've heard it pronounced before yeah i think that's actually the correct pronunciation it's cool we make it all up here on cosmere conversations (laughs) and i don't think there's not any kind of like physical event that happens with that right they just wake up one day and they've been taken by the shayad is that correct yeah i think the there's no physical presence that comes to take them uh there is no like physical presence of of the shayad but the appearance the physical appearance of the person that is taken is yes. going to change in the good times when it's just the the shayad, <laughs> uh the person that is taken becomes an elantrian with the like white body um i was kind of imagined as, as like angelic type of boost yeah uh, glowing a They're little sort bit of, yeah like glowing you know halo at the top wings whatever uh no not real but <laughs> in the Story of Elantris, of course, uh, we are not dealing with happy fun times. Instead, we have the Riyadh. Yeah, Riyadh, Riyadh. Okay, and the that's basically the bad version, the corrupted version of the Shayad that instead of turning you into a beautiful, angelic-like character, you become kind of a deathly... They're almost like walking corpses, yes. sort of. They're just kind of gray and drab and uh, everything hurts, right? Um, but, so when this event happens to them, that grants them the ability to access the door. So they become able to do magic. 
And I don't know if that is predetermined by their spiritual DNA, uh, that those people are always taken by the Shayad, or if it's actually the process of the Shayad that modifies their spiritual DNA in some way. But it does seem different than we see uh, Investiture working on other planets. Yeah, the one key aspect that is missing in my mind when it comes to the Shayad is a form of breaking, of torture, of difficulty mm. that is kind of like accessing the spirit web in some way. You think it's like too random that it just well, it, happens? It does. At least right now, it does kind of seem to be random. Yeah. Whereas, like on Rashar, we know that part of the reason that Knights Radiant are created is because they have been broken and the right. spirit web can be healed by mm -hmm. the addition of a spren. With the Aeon, it does kind of seem to be, excuse me, with the Shayad, it does kind of seem to be random. And that yeah. effect is also seen in the book where people, for seemingly no reason, are taken they can be a poor person they can be a, a old person yeah. young person you know babies are taken uh by the shayad and of course uh the prince in elantris is taken that kind of jump starts the the plot point there yeah but let's look at the the aeon door itself yeah so once they are once they become elantrians which is what they call the all these people who can do magic they move to the sort of inner city of elantris they are able to draw these shapes, aeons, in the air, and it does require some kind of intent what they're, that they're actually trying to access the door. They can't just, you know, wave their finger in the air. And each aeon corresponds to almost like an essence on Rishar, something specific. So I know, like, they can draw a specific aeon that means transportation, and add some sort of diacritical modifying marks onto that character as they're drawing it in the air, and that will sort of encode where they're going to travel and allows them to teleport. And when everything was going well, this magic system could be used to expand empires, to help to people, heal people, to heal people, make food and kind of be used in ways similar to how we see Investiture used uh, on other yes. planets. And then a corruption happens. And the corruption that happens... There's an earthquake. ...is because of the physical change in the environment. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to that physical connection. There's an earthquake which creates a different landscape... And because all of their characters, all of the Aeons, are based on the landscape, they then have to adjust and make a new line in their characters to account for that fault line that has manifested after the earthquake. So in this magic system, when we say corruption, we actually don't mean the corruption of Odium or Trell. Right. We mean that because of the way the magic system is tied with the physical environment, a corruption was entered into the magic system when the physical environment changed. Yeah. And that breaks the Aeon door. It, it creates the rayad, the darkness, instead of the light coming to take these people. But it doesn't actually change 
a person's ability to use the magic system. Exactly. So I would assume that the Shayad or Riyadh, both, mm-hmm. whatever that event is, is changing their spiritual DNA. And that's why they can still access it. I also thought it was interesting that um, the Aeon Door is described as uh, like energy that's accessing the physical realm in specific pulse lengths or frequencies. Just because I've been thinking about that idea of like pulses and frequencies a lot since we talked about that uh, music theory that that one Reddit user had. Uh, so that jumped out at me. I think that that's definitely a significant thing that's going on. Uh, described as certain pulse lengths and frequencies. Yeah, and that those shapes are sort of what allow the appropriate wavelength to come through. Let's talk about the Che Shan, because this is another magic system that's used on cell, but it's used by a different group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about who's using, well, let's define what the Che Shan is. Yeah, Che Shan is sort of another version of accessing the door on cell, and it's practiced by a meditative martial arts uh, style that seems to be focused on quick motions and somehow gaining power from those motions. And it's used by the Jindu. Who are the Jindu? Is it Jindu or Jindo? Jindo. 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 Uh, Jindo are another race of people on cell. I believe they neighbor uh, Aralon. And I think that the martial arts style that they practice is accomplishing the same thing because remember what mm-hmm. Brooke said about the Aeon Door it's literally being written uh, normally with like the finger right yeah, they just, just kind of they reach uh-huh. out and just kind of draw like in the air the Aeon that they want and the Jindu perform a martial arts move in the same way they're they're doing the same thing it's just that through culture and history they've developed these different practices of accessing the the magic. Yeah, it's kind of like a pencil sketch versus painting, right? It's sort of this in the same vein, just in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we only see this happening really once, um, but it seems as though Cheshan could be granting the user both incredible strength as well as some kind of incredible proprioception or the ability to see without having your eyes open is what we see in Elantris. Spider sense is yeah. what's going on here. Daredevil. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. There is a, a an extra sense of warning, of foresight, um, of, you know, the tingling sensation that the Spider-Man mm-hmm. gets before a bad guy <laughs> shoots at him. That's what's going on with the Jindu. One of the unique aspects of magic on cell is that the power weakens the farther away you get from the land that it's based on. So like an Aeonic person who's practicing Aeon Door, if they travel too far away from Aralon, they're not able to use their magic anymore. 
with Cheshan, I think because the Jindo, I forget what their country's name is, but because they're close enough mm-hmm. to their home country, they're still able to access it in Aralon, as we see. But I think that's another interesting and unique part of Magic on Cell is that it is able to sort of be taken away based on your location. And one of the kind of just interesting, obviously not super significant aspects to mention, but the planet of Cell is very large uh, compared to mm. the other planets of the Cosmere. Uh, there's a standard that is given, just the Cosmere standard. It's so based on Scadrial. Yes, Scadrial. So Scadrial is ground zero standard. Yeah, so Cell is about 1.5 times bigger than Scadrial. And gravity is heavier as well, but the the planet is significantly larger with significantly more diversity in its landforms than we see anywhere else. So one of the interesting things to note, while the Jindu and the Aralons are neighbors, there's other empires that exist in Cell that we had very little interaction with in the book. Um, But they definitely kind of exist in their own little pocket of this gigantic world, and they're basically just hanging out by themselves. Their planet's so big that they haven't had the point yet of coming into, like, full contact, World War One type of style. Yeah, there's a lot that we don't see connections. We do have the Fjordel Empire, who in Elantris we see is gaining ground and starting to interact with a lot more of its neighboring countries. And uh, in in the Fjordal Empire, you have this group of monks called the Dakor. And the Dakor are kind of presented as a, not necessarily, I don't want to say dark, uh, but they, they kind of are presented as the antagonists. Yeah, they're very... Uh... Intense? Extremist? There you go. Nice. I like it. Because the magic system of the Dakor uses bones? Yeah, it's actually the the physical bodies of the practitioners. So it reminds me a lot of hemallergy mm-hmm. in the fact that you're actually changing your physical body to get the magic. And this is something that's sort of revealed at the end of Elantris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But these Dakor monks, their bones inside of their body are somehow twisted and deformed into characters of the Fjordal alphabet. And that, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And that's what is kind of granting them their power. Instead of writing on the wall or in the air... Um, their power is still derived from a kind of physical change in the environment, but for them, it's inside their bones. And this grants them many of the magical abilities like strength, speed, um, teleportation, even though that is like a... a, Advanced. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not something you can do easily. But the Dakor, the Cheshan, and the Aeondor all have these kind of similarities of writing a language and creating that connection between the physical realm and the cognitive realm where the source of devotion and dominion 
though shattered, still resides. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that, like you were saying, teleportation is a more advanced thing to do. And in Elantris, we see that it may actually also require someone's death. They kind of, like, use the, the, cost. the life energy of that person to, like, fuel their magic. Yeah. Ugh. And hence the so again, darkness. Like, like hemology. Yeah, exactly. Where it's definitely an end negative, it seems. And do we see the in positive, in negative, in neutral, in these three magic systems? Um, I'm going to say know not know quite. enough. Yeah, I'm going to say yeah. not quite. But there definitely is uh, an in negative when it comes to the Dakor, I feel like. And then with the Aeon Door and the Chaishan, I kind of see how they could be, but I'm not 100% convinced yet. I want yeah. more in the world to be explored. Definitely. For example, in The Emperor's Soul, you mention incredibly significant magic system in an incredibly small package. Highly recommend yes. if you're just say, a random person. Hey, I want a book to read, but I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, just say you know, try out the Emperor's Soul. It's short. It gets a, the point across about, like, what Brandon does. Mm -hmm. It's the thing I recommend to total noobs. And that magic system that exists on the same planet, but in a yes. vastly different empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fairly far removed from the the section of cell that we see mm -hmm. in Elantris. And, we've, and it's called the Rose Empire is where... The Emperor's Soul takes place. Um, and they have a system of magic called forgery, which involves a stamp being created, carved, uh, and then stamped on either an object or a person. And that stamp essentially rewrites the history or the identity of that thing or that person. So I absolutely loved this magic system and I, to be fair i have not reread the emperor's soul ever uh and so really? yeah it's been like you 10 didn't years. read it in our kingdom unbounded no i oh, didn't dang. yeah i skipped over that to move on to i reread it and i like thoroughly enjoyed my reread i need to because the magic system with forgery has so many significant connections i feel like it really gets at the heart of like magic on magic. cell yeah. and and exactly yeah magic and the whole cosmere because let's kind of uh talk this out yeah the a stamp is created mm -hmm. when that stamp is applied to a person or an object mm -hmm. it rewrites their history right and kind of yeah, gives them essentially and the thing that I feel is most most important to the larger Cosmere is that objects or people, but let's take objects because it's a little easier, have their own history. They have and their own memory. desires, memory. Mm -hmm. They want to be certain things. A table wants to be a table. A table likes being a table. A table feels proud that it is a table mm -hmm. and it's you know it's like yes i am here every day and people use me and i'm yeah. functional and i but then well, the stamp comes along the stamp comes along and says yeah you are a table that's cool but you used to be wood you used to be a tree you used to be life and we can 
adjust or kind of change what you are by using this magic of forgery that would then suit the purpose of the forger. Yeah, I think a good example is when Shy, the main character of Emperor's Soul, changes the table in her room and she just makes a very small sort of elegant change in that this table is it's old it's fallen into disrepair it hasn't been cared for over the years so it's not very nice and she wants a nice table so she creates a stamp that it rewrites the history of the table so that the table was cared for and i think that that does fall in line with what the table wants because the idea is the table can remember a time that it was beautiful it was cared for and so she kind of just gives it a little extra push and suddenly that table is transformed into a beautiful, well-polished, well-maintained piece of furniture. Super small, but when we're looking at the larger Cosmere, we know that there are so many different aspects of objects having a sentience or of ideas gaining a sentience. In Rashad, yeah, we the, see that. the idea of identity of inanimate objects and the way that we think about objects and then the way that objects think about themselves is important. It's best to think of the history or the function of these inanimate objects kind of similar to a computer code. That's how Brandon describes it. You have a function, uh, a, a string of text, and by making small changes to that string of, ch- of text, you can get a new output from the function that, that you started with. Which I think is an interesting comparison when we're talking about spiritual DNA also, because a lot of times DNA itself is discussed as being similar to a computer code in that same way. Absolutely. So really what we should see a soul stamp as is kind of a form of hacking, hacking Mm. the spiritual DNA. And you said that last week, and Mm -hmm. I really liked that idea involving hemallergy as like a form of hacking. Well, this is another form of hacking that spiritual DNA. Say, okay, table, your spiritual DNA says that you had a shitty history and you got beat up and not cared for, but we're going to hack in, give you this soul stamp, and the new output is going to be a beautiful table. Yeah, I think similar to what we said last week, though, hemallergy is that hack that permanently alters your spiritual DNA. Whereas, like, on schedule, they have that technology that sort of does it in a less permanent way. I feel like a soul stamp is similar because they do wear off depending on the materials you use and how long it's there. So it is sort of that same idea of, like, a temporary overlay that modifies the spiritual DNA. Well, and don't we also have some information that forgery is being used by certain groups Mm -hmm. on cell to form a type of technology? Or is that Uh, on Nalthus? No, that's Nalthus. That's Nalthus. Okay, I'm going to delete that. Now, while there are 
several different aspects of forgery that we could dive into and kind of talk about the materials that are used. The only one that I really want to call out and bring attention to, just because you mentioned hemallergy, is blood sealing. Yeah. Which is used by a group of people on cell called the Duzhumar. Not going to pretend that that's a good pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard word. It's a weird spelling. It's got D-Z. So if you tell me how to pronounce that, I will go with D-Z-H. it. D-Z-H. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. Uh, D-Z-H-M-R. <laughs> Is what we got. And they are using forgery, but having human blood be the ink that the stamps are dipped, in. dipped into. And the stamps themselves are... Are made out of bone so kind of hinting at that same aspect of the decor the kind of twisting of bone the uh-huh. the use of bone as a stamp the blood usage i don't know i i feel like anytime we get bloody it's it's probably not good right there's probably like some <laughs> things going on that shouldn't be going on but well and it's similar we're gonna see this idea in just a moment when we go to Nalthus as well but the idea of organic materials being more powerful than synthetic uh and that's true for regular forgery as well organic materials tend to make better stamps and the dithamar take it sort of one step further go all the way and use human organic things (laughs) And one of the benefits of tapping into this kind of like very powerful but maybe a little creepy magic is that they can do things like create animated skeletons uh, that can be given tasks, uh, not necessarily going to be like the drabs or the lifeless uh, that can like fight in a war. No, I think they are pretty similar to lifeless. But they're skeletons. Yes. So correct. if I like punch one, do they fall over? Um, I don't know. Because if I punch a skeleton, there's well, nothing to hold it together. I think they have to be kind of strong because people are pretty afraid of them. Okay. And, like they are able to harm other people, so I, I would just... say they're not easily defeated. Okay. Obviously, they're not your most brilliant soldier. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that they were primarily used uh, for. Things like uh, tracking another person, being given a a kind of simple, basic task. But you think they're closer to like a lifeless soldier uh, than necessarily like an animated towel. I think it's one of those things that has a lot of power that we haven't necessarily seen used yet. And it's something that people who are outsiders to blood sealing know like, hey, if you wanted to, you could make an army of skeletals and it would be awful and they've simply chosen not to. They've chosen to use them for more uh, inconspicuous things. So with all of these magic systems on cell, the key thing to keep in mind is that there is a connection going on between the spiritual realm, the cognitive realm, and the physical realm. With the Aeon Door and the other magic systems we talked about, it's more about linking just the cognitive and allowing some of that power to come out of the cognitive by drawing the little stuff. Mm-hmm. With the forgery, it's more connection about getting to the spiritual realm, yeah. the object's soul. Because they're even called soul stamps. Yes. And asking, like, 
what's the essence of this object? What's yes. the history of this object? And how is it connected to everything around it? I'm going to make a couple of changes to help me in this instance or to make my life, you know, more beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the key thing that we see on cell is a couple of magic systems that are all about connecting the different realms and, and bringing them closer together. Mm. And so that's what I want to leave us with for Cell as we transition to Nalthus. Yeah, great. Let's go to Nalthus. On Nalthus, we have investiture coming from the Shard Endowment. And Endowment is actually alive. <laughs> One of the few. Yeah. I mean, we get to talk about a real shard. <laughs> it's not shattered. We don't know anything about it, but it's there. It's not dead. So we have Endowment on the planet of Nalthus, and Endowment is going to manifest on the planet in a way that is, once again, different from anything that we've seen anywhere else in the Cosmere. By, it seems, this is my kind of guess about what's going on, Endowment gave up a little bit of her power, its power. I don't uh, even know if we, we know, know the that, best Yeah, we know that it is a woman. Okay, so it's, it's a woman, but we don't know uh, any details about her. Correct. So I think that some power was given up by the Shard of Endowment to give breath to all of the humans of Nalthus. Yeah, very likely. Do you want to describe what is breath? Capital B, breath. Sure. So the full name is biochromatic breath, and that's important. Um, it's essentially the power of life, the power to create life. So as you mentioned, uh, we have a unique situation here where humans on Nalthus have extra investiture. Mm -hmm. All humans everywhere have a sort of base level of investiture regardless, and that's sort of just the identity of their soul. If you have a soul, you have a tiny bit of investiture. However, innately on Rashar, or I'm sorry, on Nalthus, uh, humans are born with extra investiture in the form of this breath, which is, uh, I mean, kind of an indescribable, just like unit of power, I guess yeah. is the best way to describe it. I want to kind of use a couple of basic things that every human's going to experience and maybe just kind of give a hint at how uh, that would be different if you were a human on Nalthus who had one breath. I think that everybody gets sick. Everybody um, has good days and bad days. Mm -hmm. Everybody has the ability to um, kind of experience their world, the major senses, mm. all that stuff mm -hmm. you got going on, okay? We have those things. A person who has a breath, a human on Nalthus with no changes, I think is going to have a more... Just a tiny bit more full experience. I'm going to say vibrant. Ooh, Their experience is a tiny word. bit more vibrant. They get sick a little less often. They're a little bit mentally healthier. They're a little bit more... Resilient. Yes, resilient to life's down. And maybe, just a little bit, their senses 
are above average. We're not talking about superhuman yet. That right. comes in a moment. We're just talking about standard Nalthus human seems to be, because of breath, a little bit better, a little bit more vibrant than mm. all the other humans that we see in the rest of the Cosmere. I love that description because we'll see biochromatic breath has to do with color. So that idea of them having this sort of innate ability to live more vibrantly really, really ties in with that magic system. Well done. Thank you. It's almost <laughs> as if I thought about this beforehand. <laughs> so breaths can be shared or taken or just like any other uh, physical possession. You're able to either transfer it to another person, someone can take the breath from you, so you can build them up. Well, let's just be clear, because a breath does have to be willingly given oh, up. Oh, good call. It does good not, call. it cannot be, it can be added to a person, uh, but it has to be willingly given up, because it You're is right. connected to a person's spiritual DNA. It is your breath. Brooke, you have one breath and it is yours connected to your spiritual dna i cannot come by and pickpocket your breath good point but i was wrong it was totally fine because <laughs> it's just a small clarification just the what you're saying happens but it has to happen voluntarily mm -hmm. i cannot come by and pickpocket your breath but i could say this would be a this would be a bad thing this is a bad example okay if you have a boyfriend or lover who does this run away but i could say sweetie if you loved me you would give me your breath and if you gave that up willingly even if i kind of manipulated you into doing it that can happen but i can't steal it from you true with the breath a person is able to perform magic if they have acquired a larger than normal number of breaths. So everybody gets one, but if you have a bunch, you can do magic. I mean, I think you can do it with one, but you would only be able to do one magic trick and then your life would decrease in quality. So not the best idea. <laughs> However, I do find that idea interesting that anybody can do magic if they know about it. Right. But people, certain people are going to be better at doing magic than yes. others. So let's... It does still take skill. Let's talk about the kind of different ways that breaths are used. And then we'll talk about the people who use breaths on Nalthus. Okay. Okay? So biochromatic breath. There are ten different levels that are called heightenings on Nalthus. Think of these as like power-up levels. You get more abilities. You have more breath to use and do more magic. And you are living a more vibrant life each time you level up. Yeah, as we were saying earlier, your senses are being heightened. Absolutely. And these heightenings are going to be 100% based on the number of breaths you have. Let's go down the list. Heightening number one to be considered a bare minimum magic user in the planet Nalthus, on the planet Nalthus, you must have 50 breaths to reach the first heightening. Brooke, what's the effect, the ability that is gained 
just by having 50 breaths. When you have 50 breaths, you are granted aura recognition, which basically means you're able to sense life around you. So without looking, you're able to sort of feel, hey, there's somebody behind me. There are three people in this building next to me. And is it all life, uh, including animals, or is it just humans? Oh, I believe it is also animals. I think... I think it's sort of uh, strongest with humans. Yes. But then you're also able to feel animals, but animals feel smaller. Yes. Because their sort of life sense is smaller. I want to say it's the same with plants, too, but don't quote me on that. Okay. The idea of being able to recognize someone's aura is going to become more important as you go up the levels in heightenings as well. Uh, but if you have the first heightening at 50 breaths, you have aura recognition, and you can use those 50 breaths to do magic. We'll talk about what type of magic can be performed after we get through all the heightenings. Yeah. So, Second heightening goes up quite a bit to 200 breaths needed to reach the second heightening. And the ability that is gained from the second heightening is perfect pitch and the recognition of perfect pitch. So this is always key to keep an eye out for. If a character, for example, Hoy, <laughs> is described as having perfect pitch, which... He I has. do not. I do not have, but <laughs> um, that that's a key to understanding that. Oh, he has two hundred breaths, and has achieved the second heightening. Yeah, the third heightening goes up then to six hundred breaths, which grants you perfect color recognition. Great for artists. The fourth heightening requires a thousand breaths, and gives. Perfect life recognition. Ooh, so do we think, is that sort of the culmination of aura recognition? I believe it is, because I think that there is kind of a, a difference between the aura of someone and their, 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 their soul. Mm. Or, for example, I think that someone who had the first heightening could easily tell the difference between a drab, a normie, a mm. normal person on Nalthus, um, and a person with the first tightening or the, the tenth tightening. Uh -huh. Easily tell the difference between all of those. But I think a person with the fourth tightening would, would... know exactly who you are? Yes. I think that they would have more ability to basically access someone's spiritual DNA. To kind of, I, I think that's what's going on on the cosmic right. level is that it's giving you more of an ability to recognize someone's spiritual DNA. So, for example, I, I'm going to have to double check uh, the moment with Light Song and Hoyd, but like, I feel like people with the fourth, fourth heightening or above should be able to kind of clearly recognize that something weird is going on with Hoyd mm. more than normal. Yeah. That's what that's what I kind of see from perfect life, life recognition is some kind of access to the spirit DNA. Interesting, interesting. Let's go to the next one. Fifth heightening requires 2,000 breaths, 
but it grants you agelessness. And this is the heightening automatically that the returned are going to achieve with their one divine breath. Yeah. We'll talk more about returned in a moment. Six heightening requires 3,500 breaths, and it gives you what is called instinctive awakening. Basically, it just makes it way easier for you to do magic. You can, like, do magic perfectly. I would just say that, hint, hint, descendants of the royal family have instinctive awakening to a lesser degree than someone who had the six heightening, but more than a normal person. So the main characters in... Warbreaker. Warbreaker are Vivenna and Siri, and both of them have more of an instinctive awakening ability. They're better at doing magic than normal people because they are descendants of the royal family. Good call. Seventh heightening goes up to 5,000 breaths. So many. Uh, and that gives you invested breath recognition. And that's the ability to tell exactly how many breaths other people have? Is that what it is? I would guess so. Yeah. Number eight, 10,000 breaths. And remember, we're talking about like a person's yeah. kind of soul. Uh, well, extension of the soul. Soul plus. Their life force. There you go. Life force. Uh, the eighth heightening gives the ability of command breaking. Now, again, we'll talk more about the way that magic is done, but basically a command is given by a magician to an object, and with the eighth heightening, another magician can come in and break the command of the first magician. They can undo your magic. Exactly. Let's go on to the next one. The ninth heightening requires 20,000 breaths, and it gives you greater awakening, so even better magic as well as audible commands and color distortion. So when it says color distortion, it literally means that light, and therefore color, bends around you. Yeah. You have, I mean, everybody who is uh, going to have increased number of breaths does appear more vibrant. Uh, their, their color is fuller and deeper. But a person who has the ninth heightening would literally start to distort light around them and color around them. And the only entity that we see at the level of the ninth heightening, at least in full force, is the God King. Yep. And he actually doesn't have the ninth heightening. He has the next one. But that effect of color distortion is seen whenever he walks or does anything. Yeah. Tenth heightening is 50,000 breaths or above, we assume. Yes. And it grants perfect invocation, which again just makes your magic more powerful. And honestly, we don't know what else. Some other cool stuff. Obviously, everything below you get as well. Uh, so yes. these are stacking Correct. powers. And again, the God King is the only person we see in kind of full force with all, a tenth heightening. But we also know that there are other beings that have held that much breath, specifically Vasher. Um, Vasher is going to be one of the five scholars, and we assume that at a certain point 
he held the entire royal treasure. Is that what they call it? Like the, the yeah, number the, of breaths? Yeah, the breaths that the God King currently possesses is the gift of Vasher originally. He had all of those and he gave them to be passed down from God King to God King. Yeah, and one of the interesting aspects of magic on Nalthus is that it's not limited just to the heightenings because we also have the returned and they kind of get their own little special abilities as well in addition to having a bunch of breaths. Yeah, they have their own separate restrictions and abilities. So let's talk specifically for a moment about the process of oh, using okay. yeah, using using this magic system in what is called awakening. So tell us how awakening works. You have these breaths, maybe a different number, you reach a different heightening. What can you do with the breaths? Yeah, awakening allows you to animate objects with biochromatic breath. So the breath is sort of the the vehicle and the fuel for this transformation process is color. So you need to be in physical contact with something of color and then you also touch the object that you want to awaken. As we previously mentioned, organic material is easier as well as anything closer to a human form is easier to awaken. And then you infuse your breath into that object. You have to give it a command, so something to do, uh, and then visualize what you want it to do as well as say it out loud. Uh, and that object will come to life and do the thing that you've told it to do. And then the, the color thing that you are using is bleached of its color. And so awakening is a powerful magical tool that relies heavily on knowledge in order to unlock all of its uses. It is not a magic system for noobs. Uh, yeah, it's not something you can just pick up and do. Yeah, and I think even the Vena, who, as I said, has a little bit extra ability when it comes to awakening, really struggles until she starts uh, getting some information from her friends slash captors um, and eventually from Basher himself because... There's so much specific things that must be done in an awakening to make it work correctly. And if you make one small mistake, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not like a Kaladin who could just run down into the yeah. He did things the chasms instinctively. Yeah, and he just kind of figured shit out. Like he just walked up to a wall and started painting his hand on it, and it stuck. You know, he could stick rocks to it, and then he climbed up higher and higher. Cool, nice work. But what? an awakener has to do is give a specific command, be touching something with color, be touching the object that they want, have the intent in their mind, and then kind of shift the power, take the power from one object through themselves into the secondary object, 
and that command that is given has to be very precise. Yeah, they have to know exactly what they want that command to be. And there are, you know, obviously different effects of simpler commands versus more complicated commands. More complicated commands will use more breath but also are obviously more useful. So for example, a more vague command such as grab things is less effective, but also uses less breath versus something like upon call, become my fingertips and grip that which I must, which is a command that we hear in Warbreaker. Pretty complicated. Taking a lot of breath. Yes, uses a lot of breath. And this concept is seen most notably in Nightblood this complication of the object needing to understand what you mean when you say something as complicated as upon call become my fingers and grip that which I must. Because there is, Nightblood is obviously one of these objects that has been awakened. We've talked about this before in I believe uh, episode 5, 17 Shard and the World Hoppers. Uh, Nightblood is awakened with 10,000 breaths Maybe a thousand? No, ten thousand. It's a lot. I want to say almost a hundred thousand. Okay, it's a lot. I think it's ten thousand. Could be. There's zeros in there that we might be missing. Yeah. But he's awakened with a bunch of breath and given a simple command: destroy evil. Oops, we forgot to tell the sentient sword what evil was. So he just wants to destroy things. He thinks all things are evil. He doesn't uh, understand or have any type of connection to the entity morality. yeah morality <laughs> of the, the people that are holding it or anything like yeah. that he just wants to destroy evil so they made a mistake with nightblood and now they have this sentient sword that's running around now rashar as the end yeah. of words of radiance but that idea of like needing to be very careful and specific with your commands is uh, an, an, an essential part of this magic system. Now, one of the connections back to Cell is this idea of the object you are trying to awaken, one being organic, that's mm -hmm. more helpful, yep. and two being in the form as close as possible to a human being. Yeah. For example, a jacket would be easier to awaken and take less breaths than just a piece of cloth. Correct. Even if you were a seamstress and you could turn that cloth into a jacket, doesn't matter if it's already in the form closer to a form of a human being, it's going to be easier to awaken. And I think that is because what's happening on the big picture of the Cosmere is that the Awakener is connecting the object to their spiritual DNA. And so the closer the object is to the form of a human being, the easier it is Interesting. Are you thinking, use... like, how our DNA biologically is, like, closer to that of other humans or, like, closer to that of other primates? Are you thinking, like, that's the same kind of thing on a spiritual level? I, I do can, think like, it's that, yeah. Trick it into being yes. slightly more human and slightly closer to you already? Yes. Huh. I, I, I think that, like, what is going on is that you have cognitive realm, that's intent, that's the command. Mm -hmm. You have the physical realm, the person that's, like, conducting this stuff. And then you have the, the well, spiritual realm, 
physical realm would be like your color source as well. Well, you have all the things. You have the yeah, object, yeah, yeah. you have the physical person, you have, but you have the human that's like the conductor. And you have the spiritual realm where the power source is coming from because mm-hmm. now we're on Nalthus and yeah. Shard is in the spiritual realm. Um, and you're kind of tricking the inanimate object or convincing the inanimate object that, no, 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 you're not uh, a towel. You're not a blanket. You are my fingertips that will grab things as I must. Interesting. And so you're like, you're imprinting yeah. your spiritual DNA on the object using... A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think's going on. Interesting. Big picture stuff. Yeah. So we have a word of Brandon that I think is pretty interesting about how in the future we might see awakenings play out on Warbreaker. Because it ends with a pretty big cliffhanger. Oh, the biggest cliffhanger. And it's been like a decade now I since Warbreakers. I cannot wait until the sequel. And we don't know exactly when that's going to be. I don't yeah. think it's 2019. It's pretty far Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm thinking like 2020, uh, you might see some information about Warbreaker. So don't get your hopes up, but go back and read some Warbreaker if you need some, some Warbreaker love. What did Brandon say about what might be going on in the future? Yeah, he said that there is a country on Nalthus that uses breath to create like awakened machines awakened machines yeah someone asked him if there were like awakened cogs and like pieces of machinery and he said yes that there was a country that was already using that investiture to create technology and so once again we've mentioned we've seen this now in each of our episodes on magic there is magic But what we see more and more is that magic being used to produce technology that is not limited to anyone based on race or spiritual DNA. Yeah, it's like the democratization of investiture. Oh my gosh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you said it. And then immediately we're like, I need to save that in my brain. Uh, (laughs) Pin, Pinterest, right there into my head. Everyone remember that phrase? I coined it. Um, Because that's definitely what's going on. We're having a democratization of investiture. What we see in the book Warbreaker is not the machines are being created. They're still playing on the lame level, the like level one. They're like, what we're going to do is we're going to take a dead body and we are going to awaken it with a bunch of breaths. They call these the lifeless and they are normally used as soldiers Guards, slaves, yeah, hard labor. Um, You know, why use a living person when you can just take a dead body, awaken it, and make it do basically whatever whatever you want. want. Some limits on on commands and whatnot. But, for example, Claude is the awakened that is held by the gang in Warbreaker. And Claude sometimes just gets their groceries. Like, that's that was his job for the day. Claude, go down to the market and buy us our groceries. Cool cloth, or just carry stuff. Not <laughs> yeah, even, not yeah. even buy, gro- like go by yourself, but just like you are going to be my shopping cart. Yep. I will just hang things from you, Claude. But I thought it was interesting that the lifeless also retain some kind of memory or concept of who they are, even as a lifeless. Uh, where we see, like, if a person was a soldier in life and they are reawakened through this process. 
they will be a more skilled, lifeless soldier than if you were to awaken, like, a farmer and then say, hey, lifeless farmer, be a soldier now. Yeah, because the lifeless army is a key part of the plot of Warbreaker. There are, I think, 50,000 soldiers that are held by the God King, but controlled by members of the royal court, the Returned. And this is the army that is supposed to protect the city in events of anything going bad. And that lifeless army is stolen, is corrupted, uh, and is going to be misused at the end of Warbreaker, leaving us on a gigantic cliffhanger is when Vasher sweeps in and is like, oh, yeah, I totally left my stone army with you guys. You can send that after the lifeless. And then the book ends. So it's, yeah, it's just like uh, stone army versus lifeless army, and the book is now over. Yeah. You wait a decade or more to get your <laughs> sequel. To be fair, he's written other things. He, he's not pulling a Pat Rothis. No disrespect. Oh, gosh. Uh, Should we talk about the Returned a little bit more? Absolutely. Let's talk about them. So we have the Lifeless, who are dead humans animated through a normal awakening process. Then we have the Returned, who are humans who die and are brought back to life, apparently through the Shard directly, Endowment, who gives them... A piece of her power, which they call the divine breath, automatically moving that person to the fifth heightening, as we said before. Um, and the returned are, like, fully living, whereas the lifeless are not really alive. They just kind of move around. They're connected. The lifeless are connected directly to their awakened breath, where right. the returned are their own entity. They're their own people. Yeah, 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 totally. They just have one of these divine breaths vasher actually who remember is much much older than all these characters zahel uh zahel on rashad (laughs) the vasher refers to returned as type one biochromatic entities and remember vasher was part of the five scholars so they have this whole you know very scientific categorization of all of the ways that they can use magic. And a lot of this knowledge has gotten lost on Nalthus so far. But that's where that very uh, scientific title is coming from. Well, that's only half of the scientific yeah. title. The other, <laughs> Sorry. They, they are type 1 biochromatic entities. <clears throat> Spontaneous sentient biochromatic manifestations in a deceased host is the full title given by Vasher about the returned. So... I know I said it in a silly way, but they are spontaneous sentience biochromatic manifestations in a deceased host. The body is dead, but it is brought back spontaneously by being given a divine breath, which is a splinter of endowment. Yeah. I know. Pretty impressive. When you are returned, there is normally a reason that a person was returned. And That's what the lore is yes. on the land, anyway. We don't know a lot about the reality of the returned. That's true, but I do think that there is a reason. It's just not 
maybe necessarily connected to what the people observe. Oh, sure. I think there's endowment reason. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. for example, I do think that the main return that we see in Warbreaker is Light Song. Light Song the Bold, Light Song the Brave. He died in a very heroic manner. If I remember correctly, he was on a sailboat, but yeah, he was he on a boat. saves he, his niece from drowning. Exactly. He was on a boat. He was not a sailor. He was like an accountant or something. Uh, but he, he's traveling on a boat with his brother. Yeah? I don't remember if his brother was even there or if it was just him and his niece. But the important thing to know is that he saves his niece. And he, he saves, saves his niece life. in this he heroic dies. manner. And then he comes back as a returned. And part of coming back as a returned is you manifest as a being that looks and appears the way in which the person envisions that they should look or appear. So Light Song dies in this heroic manner saving his niece. He is returned as Light Song the Bold, Light Song the Brave, as a godlike warrior figure. I mean, he's seven feet tall. All the returned are taller than normal. But he, you know, cut like a Adonis-type character, super strong, super beautiful. He's like prime Brad Pitt, but seven foot tall. Just like got it all going on. He wasn't that way in life. It's not just like he, they die and then just become slightly larger and they glow more. It's that they manifest in a different way. They manifest in the way that they themselves or even the people around them expect them to look. Yeah, it's like an idealized yes. physicality. And they are able to change their physical appearance actually, but I think that's a piece of information that is kind of lost to them. They don't actually know that they have that power. Yeah, and actually, none of them do. Even the God King doesn't know that he can change his appearance. And Vasher remarks on it at the end of the story uh, as like, I thought you all would figure it out. You have the evidence of the ability to change your appearance staring you in the face with Siri and Vivenna, right. who have uh, the, the royal, royal locks and the royal lineage, which gives them the ability to at will change their hair color. It's a small change, and it's the only thing that's kind of left over, but they are the descendants of divine return beings of some type. Mm -hmm. And Vasher, we know, can change his entire appearance. Yeah. Um, to go from the the godlike, seven-foot-tall Adonis character down to his, his normal human size. Oh, he could even become a woman. There's no restriction that I am aware of on the appearance changing. And I had sometimes wondered if Hoyd um, had... Oh, like a similar A, a similar ability or power about changing appearance. But his is more described more like disguises yeah. than necessarily full appearance changing. Yeah. Um, so I, I've kind of jumped back and forth between that idea. We should say that although they do have a lot of perks uh, being returned, they have a caveat, which is that they're born with this divine breath, 
But in order to remain alive, they need to consume a breath once a week at least. And if they do not, their breath will always be consumed after seven days. So they can get an additional breath during the week. And at the end of the week, that one breath will be consumed. And they are back down to their single divine breath and fifth heightening. And so that's what most often happens to return. This is just mentioned like once by, I think it's Bluefingers. Um, he just says, you know, most returned are going to die after seven days. They're going to return and it will happen like out in the village somewhere too far away uh, to get them oh, a breath right. or anything like that. Or, you know, just out in the country. Uh, they don't make it to the capital city and get all the rewards and perks of like living a life of luxury. Instead, it's just like it happens and seven days later, the divine breath is consumed and the person dies all over again. That's sort of interesting. It's almost like endowment is taking these people who maybe have a purpose to accomplish, saying, hey, I'm going to send you back, but you have seven days to, like, accomplish this purpose, is maybe the original intent. And then humans have hacked it, right, yes. and perpetuated and kept these people alive, often with no purpose at all, and really twisted this original intent. Possibly. That's a theory. Because now they all the returned, if they make it, to, to the big capital city, which is like where culture dictates that they go. Um, they live a life of luxury. They are treated as the gods. Of the gods. Yes, yeah, so yeah. as, as the kind of the, the Greek gods, we can imagine, you know, they live up on Mount Olympus and the humans come yeah. every so often to offer sacrifices and ask for aid. And, and that's exactly what the return do on Nalthus. I, I find the return so very interesting, but they do need to consume additional breaths each week, or one breath each week. Mm -hmm. If they do not, their divine breath will be taken and consumed and they will die. Mm -hmm. So there is this entire culture and society set up around people willingly sacrificing yes. their own breath. So that the returned can continue living. Exactly. And this creates depression in some of the gods. It creates conflict. It creates vanity in uh, and like uh, manifestations of power and kind of corruption in other of the gods, because these people are sacrificing a life force so that they can live. And when a person gives up their breath and they have no more, they become what is called a drab. And I often compare or see drab as like the opposite. Of a return. Like, return, you get all this superpower, extra benefits. Mm -hmm. Totally awesome. Drab, you're drained of your life force. You become less vibrant. We know that maybe the human's version or perspective about what the return should be might not line up with endowment's mm. belief. Uh, but when everything lines up perfectly, you have the kind of crescendo moment of Light Song's character at the end of Warbreaker when it appears what happened with Light Song is that his own 
perspective of like, why am I returned? Why was I selected? Why did I come back when no one else did? The belief of the people around him who were like, you're a god, you're super important, you're going to do something great. And endowment who gave up part of herself, the splinter, uh, to give this divine breath to light song. All of those realities came to a perfect moment. And that exists at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like the philosophical implications uh, of everything you just said are so strong. Like the, the that idea of like, searching for your purpose, why am I here, like, desiring to do something good, do something meaningful, but not really knowing what that is, and then that also being tied to your concept of identity and your memory, because when the returner brought back, they have no memory of who they were in their previous life, and I think, like, if Light Song had that information earlier, he may have actually been able to accomplish something, Maybe, maybe something. I, I love this idea that things are happening to characters for reasons that they don't understand, but is going to be impactful down the road in yeah. some way. Um, and, and so I, I think that when it came to Light Song, he could not have had that climactic moment of saving the God King. Yeah. If everything had to line up in that one, and that's why I really do love, and I'm like getting excited talking about this moment. I love Light Song's character. I love his story progression throughout Warbreaker. He's a secondary character, not, you know, Siri or Vivenna, but I really love his character arc in that story. I want to go back and read Warbreaker now. <laughs> Uh, but I gotta get through Oathbringer again. I think the last thing we should mention about the Nalthian magic system is another manifestation of endowment, which comes in the form of a flower called the Tears of Edgley, which we talked about briefly as Mraze has a flower, which we suspect may be one of the Tears of Edgley. But on Nalthus, it is a flower that produces dyes, for, you know, mainly textiles, and it is highly, highly prized and sought after. It only grows in this specific jungle valley in Halandren, and it has been the reason for war in a lot of cases because it's a big uh, trading export. It's very important to their economy. Um, But it's also this flower that produces dye, right, in a place where color is used as the uh, fuel for magic. I think that with the story of Warbreaker, one of the most difficult aspects when it comes to me recommending Warbreaker to other people for the first time is that Brandon takes a long time, 300 pages plus maybe, of developing this world where the economy and the politics are the most significant drivers of the plot. And it's boring as shit. I mean... Really? I don't... I did not find that to be I think that when you compare something like the first half, easy, uh, first half to first, like, two-thirds of Warbreaker 
to a book like Oathbringer, it blows it out of the water. I mean, I there's mean just... that's not really a fair comparison. Okay, even something like Mistborn. I thought Elantris was slower than Warbreaker. Let's just put it this way. I think that Brandon has got much, much better at creating interesting worlds and depth over time. Warbreaker, you can see what he was interested in. He wanted to talk about the economy. This is the Tears of Edgly is creating a monopoly for a single group of people. Yeah. And that's the impetus for conflict and, and war. And you have, you know, imagine China uh, in the ancient world, one of the only producers of silk for, uh, you know, Europeans or, or people from what we now call the Middle East, um, where you would have this kind of thing that's known about but it's far away and the only way to get it is to pay great deals of money or eventually to start going to war with those people to take the the valuable resource so brand that's an that's a deep thing to explore it's complex and it's hard to explore and i think that brandon's gotten better at that over time and i think that when you look at either warbreaker or elantris what you have to keep in mind is it's his earlier writings but it doesn't mean that the magic systems or what are going on on those planets is less significant to the greater cosmere yeah absolutely do we have any closing thoughts about either nope i just want to let everyone know to reach out to us on reddit facebook Twitter, keep the conversation going. We love when you guys comment, message, tweet, and let us know your thoughts, any cool theories, what you think about the episode. And the only other thing to keep in mind is that we will be doing our Oathbringer breakdown. Oh, dang. That is going to be, this is 10 episodes I love ending here. Ten episodes, you have all of kind of the background detail about the Cosmere. Yeah, these are kind of our intro episodes. And now we're going to look at Oathbringer, but we don't know the structure of it at the moment. We are going to take some time to kind of put things together. It's going to be heavily spoilerific no yeah. all spoilers tons of spoilers tons of theories yes yeah, so we're gonna really get into it what i might do on both the facebook slash reddit is throw up a what do you want to talk about when it comes to Oathbringer? because that's what we are going to be looking at next cool so brooke take us away until next time life before death strength before weakness journey before destination Thank you.